0: Welcome to the Wealthy Homes Podcast, where we help young Michigan families manage their finances and create wealth. I'm your host, Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Homes Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Ryan and Esther from the Leonard Group at eXp, who have nearly about 30 years of experience in real estate. So we're gonna dive in and lean on their expertise to talk about how you can maximize a home sale. So with that, thanks for coming on. Good to be here. Thanks Connor, glad to be here. So kind of before we talk about real estate and all that great stuff, kinda let's pull the curtain back and kinda talk about you guys. Who are you guys when you guys get home and you guys aren't real estate agents? Which I know you guys are real estate agents all the time.
1: 24 (laughs) seven, right.
0: But who are you guys kinda outside of the office?
2: Well, we're, we're involved in church. A little bit for one thing, and I'm a biker, always have been. So I like to, you know, work on my motorcycles in my garage. I like to go on long distance rides out west with friends and see the beauty of the west and as much as I can. And the last few years, I've been doing that about once a summer, and usually gone about three weeks. Okay. Sometimes yeah. Esther goes, and sometimes she doesn't. That's true. So what's your plans for this summer then? This summer, unfortunately, uh, I had a neck injury a few months ago, and I just had surgery about three weeks ago, and I'm not clear to ride yet. But if everything goes well, we've actually got a trip this year planned for the Northeast up into New England. Okay. Maine, New Hampshire, cool. um, Vermont,
0: that sort of that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Have you been up there before, or is it just kind of like a newer...
2: Well, I have, actually. Um, going back... And this is kind of how I got into real estate. I hurt my back. I was in the in the oh the construction field using, you know, doing manual labor to make money. And over years of doing that hurt my back. I couldn't do that anymore. So I hopped in a truck and took a job driving a truck over the road. And so Okay. So I've I've literally driven a semi in every state in the country and rode my motorcycle in every state of the country. I take that back. I've not been into New England on my bike. Yes. Yeah. Not yet. yet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So do you go along with them as there is that? Sometimes. Sometimes.
1: Yes. I do love to ride, but I'm freaked out on the freeways and in like big city traffic so I will typically fly into a nice little airport, he'll pick me up, I step off the plane all leathered up looking like biker okay. chick, and uh, <laughs> then we go from there. So nice. it's, uh, it's cool because no one messes with you when you're all leathered up. And right. they, you know it's like an alter, alter yeah. ID. Someone's
0: got to hold down the fort too in the right. real estate business. And so. it's
2: usually a great reunion because I maybe hadn't seen her in a, in a week or so and pick her up at the airport, you know, and then we're off on a on a motorcycle ride together, not, you know, awesome. hug, kiss, missed you, and now let's get back to work sort of thing, you know. And it's open
1: road.
0: Yeah, cool. So you guys have kids?
1: We do. We have four adult children. Okay. And three grandbabies.
0: Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm I'm sure that keeps you busy outside of the office as well. It does. Awesome. So kind of leaning in a little bit to your guys' real estate career, I guess, how did you guys get into real estate? I know, Ryan, you talked a little bit about that, but how about you, Esther?
1: Well, I kind of... Eased into it as a watching my parents growing up in Indiana. They were not real estate agents, but they accumulated um, rentals. And so I kind of watched my parents, you know, figuring out the rental market and interviewing tenants and all of that. So I kind of followed in their footsteps a little bit once I got to Michigan. This okay. is many years ago. And then that, of course, easily led into becoming a real estate agent and gotcha. um, okay. buying and selling properties for others.
0: Cool. So now what's kind of your guys' specialty when it comes to being an agent? Kind of what sets you apart from you know the other agents down the street? Well, I'd say our specialty is
2: listing homes in this market in the you know calhoun county and surrounding areas but what our our specialty i would say is pricing we've been very good at pricing homes uh at that exact sweet spot that gets many buyers in the door and in this market Mm -hmm. forces the price up right and our specialty is our social media marketing Um, we've done really well with that we've gotten a lot of older clients that have reached out to us because their kid or their grandkid told them you want the Leonard Group because, right. you know, they're going to blast your listing out everywhere. We've got a couple of digital billboards also, which we're the only real estate agency or only real estate uh, team in town that u- utilizes the
0: couple of digital billboards we have here in right. Battle Creek. So, yep. Yeah, I see you guys on the go one quite yes. often. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm frequently at Sam's Club, so I kind of see that.
1: Yes we've uh, we've got that captive audience at the light yeah. you know people stop in front of Sam's Club at the light and lo and behold, there we are again. <laughs> <That's awesome.
0: laughs> so kind of let's dive into kind of listing homes. I think that's going to be kind of a perfect entry into the topic of today because millennials have actually doubled their net worth just over the last three years just because of holding real estate. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really important for the years to come on maximizing that home sale to make sure that they continue down that road of building wealth and increasing that wealth through real estate and other avenues as well. So kind of what are some things that you would say is like a number one selling point on a house right now? So if somebody, because it's safe to assume that most people who bought their first home, you know, especially as a millennial or Gen Z or something like Mm -hmm. that didn't buy their forever home or a perfect home. So they're probably going to be putting some money into it to fix it up. Kind of what is the number one selling point on a home right now? I would say for a millennial or or even, you know, just a first time
2: buyer, if you're dealing with limited funds, you're not, like you said, you're not in a position yet to buy your dream home. Mm -hmm. So you're just starting out, look for a home that is, that is worth putting some money into, meaning it's got good bones. A lot of the high dollar items are, are already been replaced and are newer like the roof furnace water heater ac unit that sort of thing that maybe just needs a lot of cosmetic updates that would right. be a, a turnoff to other people mm-hmm. and you know early before i ever got into real estate i would hear people say that you want to own the the worst house in the neighborhood and that is a it's actually good good advice in regards to when you go to sell your house, the comps, the comparable properties right. around you that an appraiser is using to determine value of your home, all of those houses are worth what yours are or more, right. and it won't drive your value down. In other words,
0: the houses around you in your neighborhood aren't going to hurt your value. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So. Okay. So I know... I think it, was com- it came out about during COVID, but it was like one of the number one selling points of each state. And historically, Michigan was, you know, a pole barn was like the number one selling point. But I guess it changed and it flipped over to a home office. Do you guys think that that's still true? Or is that kind of dwindling out a little bit now that people are kind of going back to work?
1: Well, I think COVID really opened all of our eyes to... You know, in this technology world, we can most of us can work a lot remotely. Some of us can work primarily remotely, which is right. awesome. But so maybe not necessarily home office, but high-speed internet is super okay. important. No matter even if you're looking at a little lake cottage, surprisingly, right. people want they want to be able to escape there midweek. Clocking at the office from their vacation rental, you know what right. I'm saying? Okay. And uh, so maybe not the space of a home office, but high-speed internet and a space that they could carve out if they wanted to work from home. Gotcha. Super okay. important.
0: Interesting. Kind of in your guys' experience, how long do you think people are holding their homes now, especially the younger generation? Is it a lot quicker than what you've seen in, in you know years past, or is it still that, you know, Try to hold on to it that five seven years because you're not guaranteed to make quicker, money. But you, you have. Brian? I think it's a little quicker. It's just, you know
2: historically they say every seven years, mm-hmm. um, but we're seeing quicker. You know the real estate market was good in 2019, and we're seeing people sell now. I just did a market analysis for a, a seller that we're getting ready to list their house that they bought it in 2019, and are going to probably sell it for double what they paid for it with a with a few cosmetic upgrades Cool. yeah so you know that's making money on your real estate investment in a short amount of time right you know and and maybe not every case are you doubling right but but you're able to make money and move forward to your next home in a shorter period than than you have been in in the way things are trending now gotcha for
1: sure i would add to that that you know, the two-year hold, and then you can sell your primary residence without without um, capital, gains. capital gains. Thank you. So we do talk to people about that. We, of course, direct them to their preferred tax advisor, mm-hmm. financial planner person. But uh, some people choose to go ahead and cash out after a year, because how do you say no right. to that kind of cash that you wouldn't earn any other way in, right. in this day and age?
0: Okay. Interesting. So I guess kind of going back to the person that, you know, had the first beginner house that's not quite the perfect house for them, and they're deciding that they have a sum of money and they want to put some money back into the house, you know, whether that's just because they don't like certain attributes of their house or they do want to maximize the sale of their house. What are some things that, or a list of things that you would say, hey, these are the things that I would tackle first before you go into maybe some more personalized items.
1: We often ask people, what's your budget? You know, are you, do you have a tax refund of $5,000 and you want to spend that wisely? Then we'll kind of give them, this is what I would do first. If it's an unlimited budget or they came into Aunt Irma's inheritance or, you know, then of course we're good at spending other people's money. But Mm. Ryan, what would you say the top ones are?
2: You know, um, paint over any outdated painting colors, new flooring, new light fixtures. You know, light fixtures can really make a room pop. Right. For a relatively low cost, kitchen updates, bathroom updates, other things might be, uh, you know, a Generac system. Buyers are are noticing those, and and it, okay. it, it plays into their decision when they go to go to purchase. You know, if you if you're a first time homeowner and you bought a house that was, um, you know, say built in 1950 and it's pretty basic. For example, going out the back door, it's just a step down, and you're out in the backyard.
0: Adding a, a little deck on the back, you okay. know. Is a would be a nice upgrade. Okay. Yeah. You know, when it comes to ROI, I know for some of those things, it's very inexpensive to buy paint. I guess I should say very inexpensive because now the price (laughs) of the price has increased over the past couple of years. But comparatively to yes, you know, doing a full kitchen remodel or something like that. But I guess like if you were to do maybe a bit bigger renovation, say you had you know ten to twenty thousand dollars to spend. Then, what would your kind of recommendations be kitchens, it, and kitchens and bathrooms bathrooms,
1: hands down, yeah,
0: okay, yeah. however, you want the
2: the mechanicals have to be in in good condition first, you know if the house has got the best kitchen in the world, but you know the furnace is sixty years old and right.
0: and runs on coal, okay um put in a new furnace okay. you know, yeah, I think that's important because a lot of the especially the younger generation, they would rather spend it on something that they're going to use or be able to use every day or feel like they can use it yeah. every day. Yeah, it's, it's something... hard to spend
2: money on a furnace. It's hard to spend money on a on a new well, you right. know, stuff like that. But that's part of home ownership.
0: Interesting. So I guess kind of in your years of experience, what are some things that you've seen kind of on the back end where people have spent some money that you were like, man, you're not going to get the money out of that? <laughs> Especially, I think, when they're coming up to a home sale very quickly. You know, hey, I want to list my home in the next, say, six months. I'm going to go spend x amount of money on the house to you know put it up for sale what are some things that you've seen over your years of experience that didn't necessarily pay off
1: i can i can leave a recent um appointment where they had just vinyl sided everything and it had been in good shape previously vinyl sided they just wanted the new improved color (laughs) and they had not had a hailstorm to cash out on to have Mm -hmm. someone else pay for it which is awesome if that happens right and you have great insurance. But uh, yeah, in this market, you don't necessarily need all new everything in order to sell it. It may have been smarter to paint the front door than to pay for all new vinyl siding in the trendy color.
0: Interesting. So I know you said decks were kind of a big one. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with decks. Um, I think they're great. I think they're awesome to have, but they are a lot of work. Is that something that you see too as a real estate agent that you know the decks aren't in their best shape because they've been neglected because they are a lot of work.
1: It can come into play. I mean, if people invest in vinyl or whatever, what do we? The composite the stuff. Composite. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Last forever. Composite yeah. things seem to endure much better, of
2: course. Yeah. Okay. However, we see a lot of people as we're showing homes that you'll come out to a deck that's been hasn't been maintained for for several several years, and a lot of those decks just need a good power washing some screws replaced maybe the new the the rail around the top rail mm-hmm. that gets you know that gets the most sun and the most weather is rotting away and things like that right i see a lot of people that think the house needs a brand new deck when it when it when it doesn't okay yeah
1: it can be important when your buyer's financing comes into play too because it could be a completely tight house and the deck is falling apart and all of a sudden it doesn't pass fha va rd inspections right Okay. So we try to eyeball that as we go through the first appointment saying, oh, p- you know, if you want to capture the most buyers with the most options for financing, you want to tighten that up before you list Yeah.
2: Yeah. If you just, you know, rep- replace four or five spindles and replace that one board on your deck and add a handrail, you'll open
0: your, your buyer pool up to many more yeah. buyers. Yeah. Yeah, even the house that we purchased, it was a really nice deck. If they built it themselves, they were very good, uh-huh. but they didn't put a handrail on it, and it's not, and that was it's required probably super high, but it's a good distance where if an elderly person fell mm-hmm. off, they're breaking something. Yeah, but that was something that we were able to negotiate in the contract. But good. but I'm sure FHA and all that kind of stuff wouldn't have been able to approve right. that. Kind of doing a twist here is. I know you guys have were recently down in Florida with mm-hmm. your guys' Airbnb venture. I kind of want to ask you some questions about that, because I know, especially for the younger generation and even people who maybe have a surplus of funds and they're looking at getting some kind of a return on investment when it comes to real estate. What was your guys' experience like when it comes to the investing in the Airbnb? How did you guys decide you wanted to buy in Daytona Beach out of anywhere?
1: <laughs> out of anywhere. Oh, well, funny story. Um, not so funny, probably pretty common. I think a lot of people, when we were locked down with COVID, a lot of people spent their time scrolling through Zillow and um, getting pre-approved for a mortgage. And we saw, we saw that, that the market got hot all of a sudden in unexpected time. And that was nationwide, perhaps even globally um, during that time. So what I did during um, lockdown at home is I started stocking coastal properties, not just in Florida, but I'm like... I can't stand this being locked up in Michigan. <laughs> right. where where else is there in the world that you can live that has high speed internet, right? And a view would be great. That was mm-hmm. kind of my thing. So at first we started thinking, well, what could we do for like twenty or thirty thousand? Is there anything? Can you do anything anywhere? Mm-hmm. We thought maybe we could get a cool little retro trailer in Florida and with you know golf carting distance to the beach. Let's start there right. So we looked into it and yes, it is possible, lo and behold, but the lot rent is like 900 bucks a month. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense to us. You know, we preach homeownership and equity and then we turn around and pay lot rent and 900 a month. That doesn't seem right. So that led us to the next level and we started looking into what kind of condos are available. Mm -hmm. And the regular size condos are still prohibitive for an entry level um investor. Right. we would say
2: for yeah, like us, like your us, average Joe. I would yeah. say
1: your average show, right? Um, but there are studio condos becoming a thing, um, okay. not just in Daytona Beach, but and the light went on that you know what? in New York City or Boston, people pay buco bucks for studio right. spaces. They rent them for big bucks. They buy them for big bucks. They Airbnb them for big bucks is this a thing with right. a view and high-speed internet? And lo and behold, it is. So we started getting into that market, the studio space. Um, our hashtag is small spaces, big views. Okay. And uh, so we've been investing in small studio spaces with amazing views um, yeah. that provide return on investment. Yeah.
2: And right now we're, we're investing in Daytona Beach. We're actually heading down there again Saturday to, to look around for some more units. But um, Daytona Beach is and in, in, it's one of the things that we looked into is it's it is investor friendly the prices in daytona beach area were were doable for us oceanfront which is something we would have never thought was was possible right. for studio units like her and there's always something and, and if you're talking airbnb and keeping those units full you want to look into areas that are a investor friendly b there's always a reason for people to be traveling there, even during a bad economy or a good economy. There's right. you know, something going on. Do your research and see how, what the occupancy rate is on units like the one you're about to buy, that sort of thing. And we've done a lot of that research, and, and this, okay.
0: this is working well for us right now. Yeah. So how did you figure out the profitability on it, like if it was going to be cash flow positive? Was it just you went on Airbnb and kind of looked at similar units that were running out?
1: Yeah, that know. is probably the biggest educational piece is uh, is to... See what the other properties are getting and try to book it in three weeks. Is it full? Is it right. not full? What about six months from now? Is there availability? Well, how about the one next door? Maybe they had it blocked off for their family. You right. know, so you kind of do that. And we stumbled on a book um, and a podcast um, called Short Term Rentals, Long Term Wealth with Luke and Avery Carl. Okay. And highly recommended. I've everything I've read and absorbed from them, we've tentatively quietly scared <laughs> put into place and then watch and it has worked spot on for a return on investment they have they have investment formulas that you can use on their website it's been a very good asset i highly recommend it
2: another thing is if you buy a unit that was already used as an airbnb you can get that that current owner's numbers easily, Airbnb provide, or VRBO, most of those sites will provide you with a, right. a spreadsheet to show how much money came in that month or that year, you know, going back a year or whatever. So the data, is it's easy to get your hands on the data of the performance of those units, of, of okay. Airbnb units, yeah. Makes sense.
1: Turns out there are resources also, um, something called AirDNA. Where you can subscribe to a membership for a specific area, and it tracks the rentability and the rent rates and okay. all of that. Yeah. so Many it's tools. kind of like a market analysis for purchasing a regular right. house. Only this is more from the investment standpoint.
0: Okay, interesting. So let's say someone's looking at something a little bit closer to home, because I think probably one of the main issues that people have with that is it's far it's away. It's in Florida. It's in Florida, and that's uh, what we
1: loved about it. Yeah, which <laughs> but I guess also a plus. Yes. But
0: I think. You know, when it, hurricane season hits, you know, right. the, the worries probably increase. Yes. And then too, if someone's been in it for a week and then they come out, you maybe not know exactly what shape the, the Airbnb is at. So I guess before I get to something more recent or something closer, what do you guys do for the cleaning and all that kind of stuff? How do you guys tackle that?
1: I think it's absolutely crucial to have trustworthy boots on the ground. So... How we did it is we purchased our first unit as an operating business that was fully staffed. Okay. Um, so we interviewed the people that were there, that did the cleaning, that did the fixes, that did the kind of boots on the ground management. Okay. And we really considered them partners. We were very happy with the interview. We gave them a raise. We kept them on, and we um, we could not do what we do without without them.
0: Okay, so it's like kind of like a management company, or kind is- of. Uh,
1: we do the management ourselves. The apps really allow that, so right. no one knows really where you are as long as you have an internet connection. You mm-hmm. can be interacting and booking and answering questions, but it's crucial to have people that can. Lissy, do you want to give a story well, about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, our and specifically our cleaning crew is our boots is our boots on the ground. It's it's a woman and her husband. They've done it for years. They own their own Airbnb down okay. there, and then they live in a condo on the ocean. And they're good at what they do. And there's I hate to say that there's probably many in the area like them because it's a hospitality area. You all know, right. there's that's that's what that area is all about. We think they're the best, but so they handle they handle our cleaning. And if they every time a, a guest checks out, they immediately let us know the condition that the guest left it in. They immediately left it, let us know that the unit is ready for the next guest. If there's any minor repair that needs to be fixed, they'll take care of it. We've had guests that have have been a little uh, cantankerous, you know, that's for, a great word. <laughs> for, that's a word I just started using about a couple months ago and Gun I love smoke. it. Yeah. Okay. It <laughs> saves me from save from cussing. <laughs> right. Anyhow, and they go and they'll like, if somebody doesn't, can't figure out how to work the TV, they'll, they'll go and, and knock on the door and right. say, how can okay. I help? You know, and that makes us look great. And so that's important. It's, it's not owning units in another state far away to us is not scary at all. It, okay. it really isn't. Interesting.
1: Especially when the state and area that you're investing in is friendlier than the state that you reside in.
0: Yep, yep, I agree. So I guess for someone who's looking for something more closer to home, mm-hmm. what are maybe some ideas that you guys have when it comes to that? You know, We have
1: clients locally that do that, that invest in certain lakes in the area, little small cottages, and okay. they've successfully turned them all into Airbnbs. So that's always fun too, right? right. It's fun to see them shop for something with a vision and take what might be a dumpy little cottage into some cool little retro cottage that everyone wants right. to book for the weekend.
0: Okay.
2: Another, another, I, another thing locally that would work great is, and we're not doing it right now, but our house where we live is close to I-94 and they're doing all that construction on I-94. There's construction workers from all over the country, probably mm-hmm. right there. And they're probably all staying in you know, hotels, but I wouldn't be surprised if a few of them aren't staying in Airbnbs. You know, making uh, the other half of our house an an Airbnb with it being so close to the highway would be, and and even when there's not construction going on, we're halfway between Detroit and Chicago. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of people would rather stay in an Airbnb for a little bit less than what they'd stay in a a hotel or, you know, there's there's just different things to look at. But there are a lot of people these days, they say the Airbnb is, last I knew, 27% or so of the... Overnight stay market, okay. As as far as competition with hotels, right? Hospitality. You got hotels, Mm -hmm. you got, and you've got hotels, and you've got Airbnbs, and you know twenty percent of that of that market, or twenty seven percent, is Airbnbs, and that's why you're seeing all the commercials on TVs from the big hotel companies saying Mm -hmm. how much better it is to stay at a hotel than an Airbnb is because we're we're serious competition, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because. Not too long ago, we were golfing, and the guy in front of us just asked if he wanted to play with us because he was a single guy, and so we're like, sure, why not? Well, come to find out, he was one of the construction workers over in, in Sprinkle doing some electrical jobs, and they're going to be there for about two years. So their, yeah. whole two crew, years. Wow. their whole crew was staying in an Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so think so, about yep. that. They're probably corporate dollars paying for More. it. Yep. And lots of, I mean, we're talking. You can make a lot more on an Airbnb monthly, with you know, than you could in your standard rental. Right. So smart investor, whoever owns that, they're probably mm-hmm. getting buco bucks per month with a corporate check paying yeah. for it.
0: Yeah, and that's not you know your typical Airbnb on the water or right. some kind of vacation home. That's just probably a it's just about demand. Mm-hmm. Big yeah. home, right? So that's cool. So kind of going from there. One question I ask everybody that comes onto the podcast before we wrap it up is what's one piece of advice that you would give to a young family? It doesn't have to be real estate related can be literally anything <laughs> but what's one piece of advice you'd give to a young family um like a married family yep
2: well i would s- it w- doesn't have anything to do with real estate. prioritize your marriage. It's a big deal, and you need to work on it. You need to have the same dreams and goals going in. Mm-hmm the same values going in, things like that.
1: I'll add in real estate-related advice. Real estate, as we've been talking, is a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Where else can you use other people's money? In the industry, we call the OPM, OPM, other people's money, to leverage long-term wealth for your family. So jump in no matter what the market is, no matter what the interest rate is, This is long-term, and I think any family can benefit from that, but why wouldn't you? If you're paying the same amount of money to a landlord, you might as well be paying yourself in long-term, long-term goals. Yeah,
0: I agree. It's a great pieces of advice. So going from here, if someone was interested in reaching out to you, what are the best ways that they could reach out to you guys?
1: We're all over Facebook, or you can call or text Ryan at...
2: 269-420-7608. Or find us on Facebook, shoot us a message, and, um, and then we'll share phone numbers and, and make an appointment and go from there.
1: Can't wait to work with everyone. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Be sure to click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Connor Bowserman or preferred financial group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of Connor Bowserman or other qualified financial advisors with any questions you may have regarding this episode. Connor Bowserman is a licensed financial advisor and any of the investment advisory services offered are through Harbor Investments, member SPIC. Products and services provided are not NCOA insured, have no credit union guarantee, and may lose value. Consumers Professional Credit Union and Marshall Community Credit Union and Harbor Investments are separate and independent companies, and credit unions are not providing security services.